Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about discrimination in the workplace um, and fear of being yourself, um, which has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about, which is that Patricia has some exciting news uh, from this weekend. <laughs> so I yes. can't make a segue from those things into that. But um, do you want to announce what happened to you this weekend? <laughs> sure. I got engaged. I am Yay. now a fiance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was very exciting. Um, we got engaged at our favorite little winery, so it was really fun. It was, it was a beautiful day, beautiful ring, beautiful emotions. So <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it, but it was, it was great. It's very exciting. Tell everyone a little bit about Danny. Cause I don't think we've really like talked that much about your, you know, just kind of like your history and whatnot, just a little bit. So people know him, um, a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. So we actually met in fourth grade, which is kind of crazy. Like we're little babies um, hanging out <laughs> and we we went to the same elementary school, middle school. Um, and then we actually started dating in high school. So we've been dating for, oh goodness, I'm like going to blink on the number of years, 16 years, 16 <laughs> years. It's crazy. It's a long so time. We did, yeah. We dated through the end of high school into college then I moved to Pennsylvania for grad school and he stayed in California so we actually did about five years apart um and then came back to California and kind of settled into our careers and now we're getting married yeah it's exciting I'm so pumped I can't wait to go to the wedding and um like just see you all weddinged out it's so fun (laughs) yes it'll be fun it'll be fun we'll have worker being in Hawaii uh in a few months. Well, you know that I'm going to be like, you know, doing so many B puns like bride to be. <laughs> <laughs> I already thought of that. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> should we make like a little worker being like the logo with a veil? Yeah, that would that, be I, we funny. should. But then we have to make Danny's the one. So so everybody knows Danny is the one. If you like our little B and you like our logo and you like all that stuff Danny's the one who uh made all of that stuff so uh so he is uh if he made a little bee uh with a veil uh he would be or if we made one he would be the person responsible for making it so hopefully uh he's on board with that idea (laughs) yeah Danny is our graphic designer so he would be making the funny little bee with the veil maybe we can make a bee with a groom's hat even though there's no way he's gonna wear a hat (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the last time I saw a groom wearing a hat (laughs) maybe a bow tie then maybe that's better I don't know yeah maybe that (laughs) I don't know why my head went to the hat (laughs) (laughs) no I know what you mean though because like it like the black hat with like the white Mm -hmm. thing on it like the that's a that's a that is a groom hat, but grooms, I don't think, wear It's an old-timey hat. groom's hat. Maybe he wants to be an old-timey groom. Yeah. The bee is very traditional. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Danny doesn't really strike me as someone who wants to be, like, an old-timey groom. <laughs> I feel like I feel like he's a pretty modern yeah, guy. I would agree with that. But maybe the bee is not, and therefore he's going to fight for the hat. <laughs> I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> 
when Danny's in B form, he takes on a whole other appreciation for hats. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I am so excited you. for you. It's awesome. Danny's awesome for everyone listening out there. They're a great couple and uh, Danny is super nice and awesome. And obviously so is Patricia. <laughs> so it's always good to see two great people Yay. come together and uh, be able to get hitched and crazy. make it happen. It's crazy. But thank you. I'm very excited. So excited. What about you? Yay. I mean, it's awesome. I know you didn't get engaged this weekend since you're already married, but <laughs> no, I did not. Um, any any exciting <laughs> news or anything you want to share about how you're doing? Um, no exciting news, but we went on a nice uh, trip with a couple of friends, uh, good friends of ours, actually the best man mm. from our wedding and his wife. Um, and we went on uh, just a little like weekend getaway in Virginia um, with them to reconnect. So that was really nice and fun and relaxing. And um, then I spent most of Sunday working, which I try not to do, but I did do anyway. So um, I was kind of <laughs> bad at being um, at work-life balance this week. But that's because I had a lot of fun on um, Friday and Saturday. So um, so it was worth it. But yeah, so pretty much a, a low-key weekend for me and uh, gearing up actually for our two-year wedding yeah. anniversary this week. Well, Monday, next Monday. So um, so yeah, so we've got a, an old married lady and a newly engaged bride to be, <laughs> to be, to be, <laughs> to be, oh boy, we're getting way too much fun on this stupid pun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's going to have to be enough on that maybe, but, um, I'll probably say yeah. it a few more times. Yeah. I, I think sure, you but. will, but maybe we won't have to torture our listeners with that pun over and over again. <laughs> It'll just be. We'll for secretly us. be giggling about it all year long. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, so yes, Thank congratulations. You. Glad we both had a, a nice weekend. You had an exciting weekend. I had a chill weekend, and, and we're now here. we're here. Yes, and we're gonna listen to your article that you were just talking about with discrimination. So, can you tell us a little bit yeah. about it and the name and all that good stuff? Yes, I can. Um, so the name of the article is "Making the Invisible Visible." Fear and Disclosure of Sexual Orientation at Work. And it's by Bell Rose Raggins, Ramilla Singh, and John Cornwell. And it was published in the Journal of Applied Psychology in 2007. Great. So a little bit, um, like a little over 10 years since the article was published, but sounds like an interesting topic. Yeah. It's an oldie but a goodie. So this is kind of one of the foundational articles um, that still um, has the findings from this have been replicated um, and basically was one of the first studies to sort of ask the question of if you had an identity that uh, people wouldn't know about readily by looking at you, um, what is the process like and what are the outcomes of trying to decide who you might tell about that identity, who you would disclose that identity to? So what makes you more likely to tell people um, about your identity and to be authentic at work? And then what are the repercussions if you feel like you can't tell people? So this was a really important um, study because before this work, people in our field hadn't really thought about the idea that uh, there may be some things that are really important to you as a person that have to do with who you are that you might not be able to tell mm -hmm. people at work. That's crazy. That's crazy. 2007 seems really late for the field to be catching on to that. Yeah. But yeah, it yeah, does. that's, that's insane. But, um, I am glad to see that they did actually do something. So there was a study. I mean, that's when we started grad school. So they, you just hadn't gotten there yet, Katina. That's why it's took so long. 
<laughs> yes, I I wasn't there to become the supreme researcher <laughs> of LGBT issues. No, um, but I I really do feel like um, Bell Reagan's uh, the first author on the paper. She's just a great proponent for this kind of work, and I know that there were some challenges faced in getting the work published um, because of the topic area, um, and and similarly uh, with other uh, types of researchers that kind of start in a new field where at the time the, the topic is somewhat controversial that, you know, like the um, one of the people that has mentored me a little bit in my career, Virginia Shine, she's like a researcher who started, she was like one of the very first female management professors and she wanted to study gender and leadership. And I remember her telling me that when she first published like the very first paper that ever looked at gender and leadership, she was trying to get it published. The reaction of journal editors was just like, who cares about women in leadership? Like how many female leaders are there actually? Like they didn't think that anyone would have an interest in it. And so it got rejected a bunch of places before it got published. So I think it's always cool when people stick with it um, and try to, you know, put things through that maybe people aren't used to seeing, but um, at the time are necessary to move Mm -hmm. the field forward. So, um, so this is one of those papers and um, that and I think it's cool for that reason. But it also is interesting because um, we're still seeing some of these issues. Uh, yeah, definitely. Today. It hasn't really gone away, even though it's, you know, over 10 years old at this point. I'm sure that these issues still pop up all the time. And yeah, yeah. I think it's really important. So I'm glad we get to talk about it. So tell us a little bit about the findings. Um, in this study, they were looking at um, basically what predicted whether or not people felt comfortable telling people about an invisible identity. So in this study, um, as it said in the title, they were using um, LGB employees as the sample. So uh, sexual orientation minorities. But really, this could apply to, you know, religious minorities or people who are managing disabilities Um, folks who maybe have an ethnic identity or a national origin identity that other people might not know about that they might not feel comfortable talking about or um, people who you know are uh, you know have a past maybe criminal background or something like that uh, where there's just something related to either something that uh, they've done or something that they identify with that would be stigmatized moving forward in the workplace. Um, so, or even people who, you know, grew up in poverty mm-hmm. or continue to live in poverty. Um, those are the kinds of things that people might feel uncomfortable um, revealing or talking about in the workplace, but it is a part of who they are. And we've talked before about the importance of authenticity. So basically this um, article looked at well, what are the conditions in workplace that in the workplace that actually promote people feeling comfortable um, and not being fearful of disclosing those identities? And then if they do feel comfortable disclosing those identities, what are the positive outcomes associated with it? And then, of course, the, the reverse of that is if they don't feel comfortable um, disclosing those identities, what what is affected at work? Um, and so uh, part of what this article does is look at the intra processes that happen inside of people um, that make them feel less or more comfortable and what the outcomes are for them um, psychologically. But it also has something to do with the business case because some of the outcomes that they looked at in terms of job attitudes and things of that nature also impact the extent to which people can be productive and contribute to the organization fully. So I think that this article is important because it shows that if you are creating a work environment where people don't feel comfortable telling other people their full 
identity, their full selves and really being authentic in that way, um, they experience negative outcomes, but their performance in the business mm-hmm. also suffers um, from those. So outcomes. it sounds like, like you were just saying, it's, it can affect you personally. So it affects your personal well-being, but it can also impact the mm-hmm. company's well-being in a sense, right? Because if you're, the company's not doing well, if people, employees aren't performing at the best possible level, then there's obviously an impact in terms of what the organization is doing. So it's not just, you know, oh, these people are going to have some negative personal impacts, which organizations should care about anyways, but oftentimes they don't. They care more about the bottom line. So this is showing that not only do we need to worry about how these people are feeling because of their own personal um, feelings and emotions and stress, et cetera, but we also need to think about that because it's going to impact how well they do on the job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so I think, you know, as with all things that are related to, you know, making sure that workplaces are inclusive and uh, that people feel comfortable being themselves, um, you know, it should be the case that people just want to do that because it's the right thing. But of course, you'll come across if you're a person who's listening and cares about these issues, but you know that there are other people in the workplace uh, that might not care as much about these issues it may be necessary to sell people on the business case as part of the way that you explain why this is important for the business. Um, so, you know, um, these these outcomes uh, that we're going to be talking about here, attitudinal outcomes and psychological outcomes, have an impact on whether or not people are going to be able to come in and perform. And obviously, if they're not able to perform to the fullest, then the company is not getting the most out of the ratio of what they're putting into the employee versus what they're getting out from a performance mm-hmm. standpoint. That makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about the the attitudinal things you're talking about. So the attitudes, the emotional side of the person. Yeah. So um, the outcomes that they measured in this particular study. So they measured a lot of different attitudes and they um, basically chunked them into different groups. So um, there were work and career attitudes, work environment, psychological strains and career outcomes that they measured. So Types of work attitudes are things like how satisfied you are with your job, how committed you are to the company, how likely you are to want to turn over um, or leave your job, um, whether or not you perceive that there are opportunities for promotion in the company, um, if you're committed to your career overall, so not just your job, but the extent to which you feel like you really want to continue in this field, and then the extent to which you feel like you're happy and you feel valued in your organization. So those are the attitudes that they had talked about. Um, And that was one chunk of the kinds of outcomes that they looked at in this Mm -hmm. study. I mean, those are all really important, right? If you feel like you want to leave, that's huge for the organization Um, and committed to the organization, obviously, big deal. You know, a lot of clients and a lot of people are concerned about turnover um, in terms of you know, making sure they can retain employees so that they're not spending crazy amounts of money trying to rehire and refill positions all the time because it gets really, really expensive for an organization when there's a lot of turnover. So I think those outcomes really make a lot of sense, not just from a personal perspective, obviously, but from the company's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. We know from the literature that how satisfied you are on the job has something to do with how much energy and effort you put into your job performance and as well as how committed you are to the job. And like you said, turnover, uh, if people intend to turn over, that's a 
big predictor of whether or not they actually turn over. So um, if you don't want to spend a lot of time recruiting somebody else for a position or, you know, if you have really talented people that you don't want to lose because you might not be able to replace them with somebody as talented, it's really important to be focused on, you know, are these talented people in my workplace intending to leave? And if they're intending to leave because they're scared of being themselves and what they mean by being themselves is just that they want to be able to, to you know, talk about their religion openly or they want to be able to talk about their relationships um, in an appropriate but open way in the workplace um, or they want to be able to talk about um, you know or disclose that they might have some past or present battles with uh, mental or physical health um, related issues that those things wouldn't be things that they would fear discussing Um, and if that's the case then it then you know they're more likely to want to stay and be committed and work hard in the organization yeah I mean it makes a lot of sense right if you're scared if you feel this fear all the time you're like constantly watching what you say um, it's obviously not going to be a very positive environment for you yeah and so uh, in that same vein um, when people uh, feel fearful of disclosing this information, they also found that they uh, perceive uh, the work environment to be more Mm -hmm. negative. Um, And they also experience psychological strains. So they're more likely to experience work-related depression. So not depression um, in general, but just depression related to their actual work. more somatic physical complaints for health and also just a general feeling of irritation overall um, that um, they're more likely to feel irritable on a daily basis Um, and they're also um, less likely to be uh, promoted Mm -hmm. uh, the more fearful Mm -hmm. they are so this is so all of these things are uh, sort of painting this negative picture that the person is feeling less well and less healthy, and they're also feeling less well about their organization. So um, being fearful of being able to speak about this kind of stuff is uh, really impactful for individuals and for yeah, companies. Yeah, I think it's really important because kind of everything you were just saying is, you know, the negative work environment, that they're rating these work environments obviously negatively um, having something that's really irritable at work, like that's going to impact people that may not have an identity that they're scared about, um, sharing with, with others. You know, if you have a coworker that's just always in a bad mood because of this, that's going to continue to make an even worse work environment. And honestly, the work environment probably isn't great to begin with. So it's almost like a, a sign that if people aren't comfortable sharing, who they are that's almost like a big indicator like a big red flag that this company has issues outside of uh just that one piece that's probably just one problem in the broader picture yeah i think that's definitely the case and you know there's there are uh in in this study things that they measured that tell you kind of what you can do about this so um what predicts whether or not people have this Mm. fear and something really interesting to note is that they measured in this study the extent to which people had actually told people about this identity as well as just the fear of telling people and most people in the study uh, about 75 percent of people in the study um, they had told some people but not everybody or and some people had told a small amount of people but 75% of the sample hadn't told every single person. So they were still able to say that they feared disclosing their identity to certain Mm. groups. Um, And so they excluded from the fear of disclosure 
discussion, they excluded people who had disclosed to every single person at work because you can't fear disclosing if every single person knows. Um, But within the sample of people who still had some people at work that didn't know, even if they had told a whole bunch of people, but there were still some that they didn't tell, um, it didn't really matter if they had told a bunch of people the fact that they feared telling some people was actually what predicted all of these outcomes. So the extent to which they had actually told people didn't matter. It didn't predict any of those outcomes that I said. It was really whether or not there were still some people that they feared talking to. So it's not just about like you being a good person in the workplace. It's about if you're a manager, you have to create a culture where people are open to listening to these ideas and holding people accountable for being inclusive because one bad apple or a couple bad apples can really like ruin mm-hmm. the bunch here. So um, that's something to keep in mind um, if you have some power or structure um, to create within the organization that this is something that does impact um, people regardless of how many people that that's actually crazy. Told. Like I'm just thinking that through and it makes sense to me because you might have some good relationships at work and those people know about your identity and you know what you want to disclose and that's great. But you know, if you, there's people that you don't want to tell, like you have the fear of telling them, but you might also fear that other people might accidentally spill the beans too. So it doesn't really matter if there's some support because that support could potentially hurt your, um, your secret, I guess, if, if you, you know, by accident. So I almost, I wonder if I'd be really interested to know if there's some impact there. Like if you haven't told anybody versus told some people and are those the same, they might be the same, but I wonder what the causes are because I bet there's probably a little bit of fear that someone tells somebody else. Yeah. Usually when people talk about this, they say that they only tell people that are very trusted. Mm -hmm. So that they know that the person will take the information seriously if they're in a workplace where they fear these like serious consequences but even in this sample which was about 500 people in diverse set of industries in this sample um out of like on a scale of one to seven with one being completely disagree and seven being completely agree on items like if i disclose my sexual orientation to everyone at work i would lose my job i would be excluded from informal groups Um, I would not be promoted. I would not get a raise. People would avoid me. I would be harassed on those kinds of items with seven being the highest. The mean for those for participants in this study was a four point about a four point seven five. So it's still pretty high that people are saying, you know, even though I've told some people um, the people I haven't told. I feel if I did tell them, it would have serious consequences for me. So, and while this was a little while ago, 2007 is not that long ago, um, that, you know, we would think that there would be these huge societal shifts. And again, we still see similar um, reports today of people saying that they've experienced discrimination as well as, um, as well as fearing disclosure. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Like just looking at our climate right now, it's very divisive within our country and I'm sure that exists outside of the U.S. as well so I don't feel like I mean I'm not surprised if that would continue to be the case that people have these fears yeah and it's really sad and really unfortunate and not only is it sad for the person that is experiencing it but as we've said before like for those of you that you know might need that extra message or like who you know might need that extra message around the company is really important so you know, you might be really nice to somebody and are not going to be judging them and are going to be open and supportive, 
but there's might be other people in an organization that don't feel that way. But if they maybe understood some of the broader impacts on the culture and the performance of people within that company, maybe that would help. Because I think to what you're saying, yeah, it could tell a couple people, but if not everybody's on board, not everybody um, is seen as someone that they could tell, then you're going to keep perpetuating that issue, keep creating this culture of kind of discrimination or fear and a different person might come join the team that's another great performer and they could have a different type of identity issue but they might start feeling the same way because there's some kind of you know there's this fear culture that there's something there that is obviously making people people feel uncomfortable sharing who they are yeah and word does get around you know like uh people tell people when they leave jobs because of these kinds of things Mm -hmm. so you may be less likely to recruit people who would be really good for the position but might have a similar or, you know, a similar situation or an identity that they, you know, might not feel comfortable talking about under certain circumstances. And you might not even get those people in the pipeline. Um, So I think it's really important from a recruitment standpoint, as well as a retention standpoint, and just from a, you know, employee wellness and well-being standpoint to make sure that people don't fear um, speaking about these things at work. Um, So a couple of things on that, just uh, to give some kind of directives in terms of what uh, was most important with regard to uh, whether or not people um, were fearful of disclosure. The predictor or the, the thing that had the most importance for whether or not people felt fearful about disclosing was whether or not they perceived that their supervisor was supportive. Oh, um. Wow. Yeah, the next the next highest predictor was whether or not coworkers were supportive. And then the last one was whether or not they had perceptions of discrimination in the past. So whether or not they had had bad um bad experiences in a prior job or um in their current uh workplace where they actually faced like concrete discrimination because of their identity. Um, but even over past experiences of discrimination. So if you think about that, you know, I could have had a really, really terrible experience, but if now I feel like my supervisor is supportive, that's what really impacts whether or not I'm fearful of disclosing this to other people. And that's what keeps me from having all of those other negative outcomes. So the supervisor really plays a huge role here. So the comment you made earlier is huge about managers, building that culture and that climate because it really does come down to them since coworkers are second that's not that's important but not as important the supervisor is where it all stems from so if you're a manager if you're managing people at all like you really need to be someone I I think that's the case across the board regardless of identity or fear you want to be a supportive manager that makes people happy that helps people perform better they want to perform for managers that care about them and in this case you know, building that culture of inclusion and, um, I guess openness really can have a big impact on certain individuals that might have that fear. So I think just generally it's a good idea to be a supportive manager, but just really think about how you're addressing different identity issues potentially, you know, if something comes up for somebody that you don't know, that's not on your team, maybe you found out that, I don't know, your cousin just, came out or whatever like how you talk about that at work is probably going to have a big impact on the perception that your team has of what you how supportive you'd be in that situation so maybe no one on your team 
has that identity at that point, but somebody might eventually, or maybe someone does and you don't know it. So you need to be careful about how you're speaking about these types of issues outside of um, just what's going on within your team. Communicating and sending cues that you're open and inclusive as a coworker um, is important because that did hold some weight. Um, and as a supervisor, it's super important to do that. So like you said, you know, sending signals that you're an open person that you can talk about these issues with is, is really key. Um, I also think that, you know, if you're a person at work who knows that there's someone on the team who has an invisible identity that they don't feel comfortable talking about with everybody, you can also do your, your work as an ally to that person to try to influence up to create a more um, inclusive work environment. And sometimes it's just about making people aware that there may be people on the team that have this identity that might not feel comfortable without calling anybody out. Um, but, you know, talking to your supervisor and saying, you know, I'm really interested in driving diversity and inclusion in the organization. Are there opportunities for me to get involved in doing that? Um, or I want to talk about the extent to which people are really comfortable talking about identities here. Um, you know, I don't know that we have the most open workplace. Is there something that I could work on? Or would you be open to the idea of me working on something that could help create more awareness or education for everybody and including not just the supervisor, but all the folks on the team mm -hmm. um, in that effort, I think is a good way to go about it. So um, if you're somebody who has this knowledge, um, instead of putting the burden on the person who has the identity, think about ways that you can drive more inclusive culture in the workplace as well. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think it's up to everybody on the team, not just obviously the person that has that identity. You want, um, as somebody that maybe doesn't, you want to make sure that you are also um, contributing positively to the inclusivity of your team. And I think so we talked about managers. We talked about what you can do as even an employee. Um, what about like at the organizational level? Do you, does the article have any advice or do you have any advice as to what a company can do? Yeah, so um, in other work, here um, in this area by Bell Raggins, um, there's more on the organizational structure from a policy and perspective and uh, policy perspective. And basically what we find from that perspective is that the and I can link to the in the show notes to the extra article as well. Um, but basically what we find is that legislative policies at the societal level don't matter nearly as much as organizational policies mm. at the proximal level. So if you're waiting for legislation to say it's illegal for people to discriminate against LGB individuals, for example, um, we already have religious discrimination and uh, Americans with Disabilities Act for mental and physical health. Um, but if you're waiting for people to say, you know, socioeconomic status is a protected class or LGB is a protected class or um, gender expression is is explicitly a protected class those kinds of things I think um, it's it's not necessary for you to wait uh, for you to be forced into creating those policies what organizations can create on their own does make a difference in terms of whether or not people people feel comfortable disclosing and then that has impacts on um, on the extent to which they feel comfortable in the workplace so it at the organizational level your policies matter that makes sense. Yep. That makes a lot of sense to me. So policies at the organizational level, support from the manager level and openness and coworkers, same thing, support, being open and making some moves to influence up. Um, yeah. Those are kind of the key takeaways from what it sounds like. Yeah. And if you are a person that has an invisible identity and you're in a workplace where you're fearful, I think that, you know, 
the best thing to do would be to find a workplace where you don't feel that way, where you have a supportive supervisor. If you're on the job market and you have options, think about weighing that as a heavy, uh, as a really heavy part of your decision, the extent to which you think that your supervisor appears supportive and your coworkers as well would also be impactful for that. So give weight to the culture around diversity and inclusion, or you may end up being unhappy in the long term. But if you can't do that and you you don't have as much mobility, which most people don't, make sure to remember to take care of yourself on a regular basis until you can get yourself into a better situation. Mm-hmm. Give credence to these things. Don't feel that it's selfish for you to take time to try to cope from this or don't feel like you know, you're crazy because you're feeling depressed or you're feeling irritable or you're having physical health issues related to some of these things if you're struggling with disclosure in the workplace those things are real the data shows that this is a actually a normal reaction to these kinds of bad circumstances so recognize that it's happening and try to make sure that when you're outside of the workplace that you're taking time to focus on taking care of your mental and physical health so that you can try to minimize some of the damage yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That whole self-care piece that we always talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that would be what I would say for if you have this identity, if you're a supervisor or a coworker, make sure that you're sending really clear signals that you're supportive. Influence up if your supervisor is not supportive. Let them know the magnitude and the scope of these kinds of issues and what it could do for the business as well. And if you're an organization, put good policies in place. That wasn't in this article, but it's in other articles and also is important for disclosure and attitudes. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much for sharing this article. I thought it was really great. I think there's a lot of good key takeaways from it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And thanks to everyone who's here. We're so excited that you continue to listen to us and uh, we're thrilled to have you in our hive. Yes. Thank you. And if you'd like to reach out, um, please do so. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. And you can find us on social media, which is Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook um, at workerbeing. Workerbeing everywhere. That's what we're using. That's our business name. And also, uh, at the time of this airing, we would have already released what we call our five-day workplace wellness reset. So, we really encourage you to go onto our website and subscribe to be able to get it because it's a really fun challenge to help you kind of get motivated in improving your work life. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Go download it. And thanks again for listening and for being a part of what we're so excited about. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.